Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's report, we've got updates on efforts to build more workforce housing in Provincetown, as well as a plan to increase traffic safety in East Ham. Will David is here with his weekend weather outlook, and Ira Wood is ready for Hygge. Provincetown officials are developing a fast-track plan to provide emergency medical service coverage by July 1st. The urgent need comes after a transition plan that had been expected to take two years was accelerated by Lower Cape Ambulance Association's decision to end operations on June 30th. Town Manager Alex Morse has proposed an article for the April Town Meeting to cover additional costs for fire and ambulance service. That article is in addition to the $1.5 million fire department budget for the next fiscal year. Morse promised to have numbers for the article at the select board meeting scheduled for February 13th. The separate article would cover the cost of 16 full-time workers with firefighting and medical services skills, effective July 1st. Lower Cape Ambulance Association has provided emergency medical services and transport to Cape Cod Hospital for Provincetown and Truro for 86 years. Town officials from both Truro and Provincetown have been talking about the need to transition to their own fire and emergency medical services departments for years. Provincetown was originally looking to hire eight full-time firefighter paramedics for July 1st of this year and an additional eight by July 1st, 2024. Provincetown's budget for the next fiscal year includes more than $1 million for the contract with Lower Cape Ambulance. At a meeting on January 23rd, Morse told select board members that all of that money can be reallocated to hiring full-time staff. In addition, he said Provincetown should be able to bring in more than $600,000 in ambulance billing receipts. He based that number on Lower Cape Ambulance Association's billing receipt records, adding that the town should be able to improve on the association's 30% collection rate. The initial recommendations consultants retained to help guide the transition included hiring staff that was trained and certified in both firefighting and emergency medical services to build up the department's capabilities. However, Provincetown Fire Chief Michael Travado acknowledged that there is a general shortage of EMTs and paramedics and recommended keeping some of the association's staff even though they are not also trained as firefighters. Morse said he is confident in the town's ability to provide uninterrupted service. He also said that EMTs who are not firefighters would be replaced as they retired by workers who are both firefighters and paramedics. It has taken time, money, and willingness to compromise, but local businessman Patrick Patrick should be able to break ground by this summer on the workforce housing complex known as the Barracks. 
The four abutters who appealed the town's approval of the project in 2021 in Barnstable Superior Court have reached a settlement agreement with Patrick, putting an end to 19 months of litigation. Patrick's proposal is for a three-story building on Route 6 that will include 28 dormitory units, which will house as many as 112 seasonal workers, and 15 year-round apartments. The number of apartments was not changed under the settlement agreement, but Patrick did agree to several design changes. Balconies will be removed from units on the side of the building closest to the abutters, roof decks will be moved to the other side of the building, and there will be some changes to the lighting plan. One point of disagreement was Patrick's plan to use Province Road, which is a private way, as a point of access to the apartments. Patrick has agreed to limit the use of Province Road to emergency vehicles, walkers, and cyclists. He has also agreed to chip in on the maintenance of the road. The main access to the project will be from Route 6. Patrick's attorney said that new plans reflecting all the changes have been drawn up and would be submitted to the planning and zoning boards as soon as possible. Town officials have been supportive of Patrick's plans. The select board issued an economic development permit in 2019, allowing hookup to the municipal sewer system for the project. The zoning board approved relief from parking requirements and building scale regulations in 2020 and 2021. The planning board unanimously approved the site plan and granted a required special permit in mid-2021. The court case was one of the first in which judges required that those appealing a permitted housing project post a bond under the provisions of the state's Housing Choice Act. While the statute allows for bonds of up to $50,000, Barnstable Superior Court Judge Thomas Perino in this case ordered the appellants to post a $15,000 bond. That money will now be returned to the abutters who filed the appeal. The court has agreed to allow 120 days for the two sides to file for dismissal of the case, which will be done once the town's review is completed to both sides' satisfaction. Patrick said he is confident that the project will now move forward. Assuming the review proceeds smoothly, construction would begin this summer and take about 18 months. The Wellfleet Select Board voted on January 27th to grant an exemption to the town's noise bylaw to allow construction to begin on the new Chequesset Neck Bridge. The exemption to the bylaw, which forbids construction from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m., would allow the work to begin earlier in the day. The whole project is contingent on the tide cycle, town administrator Rich Waldo said at the meeting. If low tide is at 6 a.m., for instance, the town would want to be able to get crews in there as soon as possible to get things done. The construction is part of the Herring River Restoration Project and will include a temporary roadway while the new bridge and the sluice gates beneath it are built. The project aims to increase tidal flow in the Herring River Basin to restore salt marshes that have been degraded because of the dike that has been there since 1909. Although one of Butter expressed concern about the level of noise in the early mornings, Waldo said that 6 a.m. is an extreme case 
that would occur only once a month because of the tide cycles. Most days, construction would likely begin at 7 a.m., he said. The closest abutter to the bridge is about 1,000 to 1,500 feet away. Waldo predicted that the contractor for the project will start to stage equipment in February and will begin construction in mid to late March. Center for Coastal Studies scientist Mark Borelli will present a talk entitled Why Did Provincetown's East End Flood on December 23rd? Understanding Future Storms and Sea Level Rise in Provincetown at 7 p.m. on Tuesday at the Center on Hallway Avenue in Provincetown. Borelli will talk about why Provincetown's East End shouldn't have flooded during a significant storm on December 23rd and why it did. High winds and storm surge pushed seawater into Provincetown during that storm, particularly in the East End, causing damage in places not typically associated with storm flooding. By the time the wind and sea had calmed, three buildings were deemed unsafe to occupy. Dozens of decks were destroyed, and emergency personnel had spent the day assisting people impacted by flooding in their homes. Admission is free, and the talk will be available in person and online. You don't need to register in advance to attend the talk in person, but they do ask that online participants register at coastalstudies.org. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. The East Ham Select Board recently received a report from a company it hired to look into ways to improve safety, slow travel speeds, and make East Ham friendlier to cyclists and pedestrians. The six miles of Route 6 in East Ham are particularly dangerous because of multiple curb cuts along four lanes of traffic. In one two-and-a-half-mile stretch, the Cape Cod Commission counted 100 curb cuts. That means drivers are constantly stopping the flow of traffic to make left turns. It also means motorists can pull onto the highway at dozens of places. The wait to take a turn can leave impatient motorists trying to take advantage of narrow gaps in traffic, jeopardizing public safety. In Northeast Ham alone, 111 car accidents were reported on Route 6 between 2015 and 2019. There have been three fatalities since 2015. A pedestrian was struck and killed in August of 2015 near the Brackett Road intersection. In that same year, a car struck a cyclist. The third death occurred in 2021 when a car pulled onto the Route 6 and hit a southbound vehicle near the Brickhouse restaurant, according to the Cape Cod Commission. Though the speed limit on Route 6 in East Ham is 40 miles per hour, the four-lane highway design encourages drivers to go much faster. Traffic calming treatments involve narrowing the roadway, according to Jim Fitzgerald, Director of Transportation for the Quincy engineering firm Environmental Partners, hired by East Ham to look into the situation. After several months of work by Environmental Partners and years of previous studies and reports, Fitzgerald presented his new Route 6 design to the select board last week. 
The most radical change in the plan is reducing the number of lanes from four to two from the Wellfleet Town Line to Brackett Road. The plan calls for putting a landscaped median between two lanes, one in each direction, with left-turn pockets so people can't make turns wherever they want. Drivers pulling onto the highway would be forced to go one way and then use a turn lane if they want to cross the highway or reverse direction. Fitzgerald said the change would accomplish three major objectives. Left-turners will no longer stop the flow of traffic. There will be plenty of room for a dedicated shared-use bike and pedestrian lane with a grass median separating them from the cars, and it will also slow traffic. The lane reduction won't work all the way to the Orleans Rotary, however, because the traffic volume is too high. He explained that there are 33,800 vehicles per day on average in southeast Ham and 24,300 once you get to the Wellfleet Town Line. So the design south of Brackett Road calls for four lanes with a narrow grass median and pockets for turning left. The plan calls for a shared bike and pedestrian pathway on the side of the highway opposite the Cape Cod Rail Trail. Though the plan is years from implementation and subject to approval by the State Department of Transportation, which would pay for construction, the select board liked the plan. Town Administrator Jackie Beebe said the next step is to get the plan approved by the DOT and put into the funding pipeline. Fitzgerald suggested that the town proceed in phases, with phase one being the road diet in North Eastham from Brackett Road to the Wellfleet Line. In Chatham, crews installing a new sheet pile bulkhead at the Fish Pier's South Jog have faced some challenges in completing their project. First, defective corrugated sheets had to be replaced. Then the new sheets being driven into place hit an unknown underground obstruction that slowed progress for the project. Still, town officials are optimistic that the job will be done before the busy fishing season begins. The $3.65 million contract is being paid for using funds from a waterways improvement bond and a $1 million grant from the State Seaport Economic Council. While it also includes a new stairway next to the Warfinger building, the contract focuses on the replacement of the bulkhead that holds the lower-level parking lot in place. Having removed all the timber from the bulkhead, crews began driving the sheet piles several weeks ago when they discovered that the panels didn't join together properly. The contractor tried several different approaches to make the sheet piles work and ultimately determined that they were not to spec. Coastal Resources Director Ted Keon told the Waterways Committee on January 19th that the contractor found a replacement type of sheet pile for the job. After a two-week pause in work, the new panels arrived on January 16th, and the work proceeded smoothly until the 25th when the new panels hit an obstruction. A specially trained diver was called to the harbor and was at work this week trying to expose the object. The diver will attempt to get a chain around the obstruction so it can be removed. 
The pilings and other infrastructure need to be installed by the time the area is needed for unloading commercial fishing boats. Natural Resources Director Robert Duncanson said the contractor has a strong track record, having carried out the complex Muddy Creek Bridge project in 2016. The South Jog bulkhead replacement is now scheduled to be complete by April 28th rather than April 14th. The sidewalk, guardrail, lighting, and deck and bar cliff walk are due to be complete by June 9th instead of May 26th. 57-year-old Bruce Crowley left work in Revere on the evening of December 28th and was last seen by an innkeeper and in surveillance footage at the Anchor Inn Beach House on Commercial Street on December 30th. His sister told the Provincetown Independent that he told the innkeeper he was meeting friends for dinner, but he never returned. He left belongings in his room and his gray Mini Cooper in a West End parking lot. Although it has been widely reported that Crowley spent New Year's Eve weekend in Provincetown, his whereabouts after Friday the 30th are unknown. Crowley, a drug addiction counselor, had told no one where he was going, failed to deliver medication to a client on December 28th, and missed work on Thursday the 29th. Police have some evidence that Crowley visited the Crown and Anchor on December 30th, but no one in his circle of family, friends, and co-workers has seen or heard from him since December 28th. Davis was interested in fashion, and he worked for years as a hairstylist in Florida. According to his sister, he developed a drug problem about four years ago and was using crack cocaine. He came back to Massachusetts, where he's from, to get treatment. Crowley lives in Malden at a sober home, which he also manages. He works at the Philip Edwards Salon in Charlestown, as well as at Power of Recovery. His sister said that Bruce was not actively using in the last 18 months, but there's concern about a potential relapse. A co-worker at Power of Recovery said there was a one-night relapse a few months ago and surmised that he went to Provincetown with the intention of using drugs. Crowley has tattoos on his neck, hands, arms, and chest. The police have been looking for him since January 4th when he was reported missing. On January 13th, the case was transferred to the Massachusetts State Police assigned to the Cape and Islands District Attorney's Office. The State Police have done helicopter and water searches around Provincetown. Anyone having information about Crowley should contact the State Police at 508 seven nine zero five seven nine nine citing threats to the endangered north atlantic right whale federal officials are invoking an emergency rule to ban lobster and crab trap and pot fishermen from working in a vast area of massachusetts bay over the next three months the national oceanic and atmospheric administration on tuesday said the emergency rule which was also deployed last year means that trap and pot fishermen fishing federal waters in an area known as the Massachusetts Restricted Area Wedge must remove all trap and pot gear from the area and may not reset trawls or set new trawls in the area for the period through April 30th. 
Noah cited a high likelihood that endangered right whales are present throughout the area and in adjoining waters during February through April, and said fishing in that area poses a particularly high risk of mortality and serious injury from entanglement in fishing gear. The risk exists, officials said, when right whales are exiting Cape Cod Bay at the same time and place where fishermen are either fishing or staging their gear in preparation for the May 1st opening of federal waters in the Massachusetts restricted area. NOAA said it was implementing the rule at the request of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. The North Atlantic right whale has been in decline since 2010, according to NOAA, with the most recent published estimate of the population in 2019 at 368 whales with a strong male bias. Data from 2020 and 21 suggest the decline has continued and that fewer than 350 individuals remain. NOAA attributed the decline to high levels of mortality caused by entanglement in fishing gear and vessel strikes in both the United States and Canada. With the extreme cold we'll be experiencing over the next 24 hours, residents are encouraged to stay home and out of the dangerous cold. The Provincetown Public Library on Commercial Street will be open for extended hours tomorrow, Saturday, February 4th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. to serve as a warming location for residents. Town staff continue to monitor the weather, and should significant power outages occur or conditions change, staff are on standby and able to open a warming and charging shelter at the community center off of Winslow Street. If a warming shelter is activated, the town will share that information on the town's Facebook page, website, and as an alert to subscribers via email, text message, and phone call. If you see unsheltered persons you're concerned about, please contact the Provincetown Police Department immediately by calling 508-487-1212. You can see more tips about how to survive the extreme cold at the town website, provincetown-ma.gov slash civicalerts. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. A once-in-a-generation Arctic onslaught will bring the lowest wind chills to the Outer Cape in 40 years. The Arctic front has blasted through the region and temperatures are dropping rapidly on strong northwest winds. As the frigid air mass envelops the region, the difference in temperature between the air and the ocean will be more than dramatic enough so when combined with strong northwest winds, ocean effect snow showers or snow squalls with thunder will develop tonight and continue into Saturday. Some of these bands of snow could bring near whiteout conditions. As this is happening, heavy freezing spray will coat anything near the water's edge with thick salty rime ice. The wind and cold combined will produce wind chill temperatures below zero from late this afternoon through midday Saturday, 
making this the coldest outbreak the Outer Cape has seen since Christmas 1983, or almost 40 years ago. Tonight and early Saturday will be the time frame for the lowest wind chills, as they could drop to as low as 30 below. A quick rebound in temperature is expected Saturday night, but the winds will still be gusty. Finally, by Sunday, even with the gusty winds, dramatically warmer air makes a comeback. In fact, by Sunday afternoon, we could see highs in the 40s, making it feel 75 degrees warmer than it did just 36 hours prior. In a moment, some tips on surviving this historic Arctic outbreak. Elsewhere across the nation, the bitter blast will send temperatures plummeting all the way to Virginia, but the core of the most brutal air will be centered over New England. The Deep South, especially Texas, is now recovering from a four-day battle with sleet and freezing rain. Almost a half a million households lost power during this damaging and deadly winter storm. A major rebound in temperature begins there tomorrow, with highs in the 60s and 70s this weekend. And finally, power outages are possible this afternoon through Saturday during this extreme cold. If power goes out, Avoid using a generator inside your home for heat and never use a portable grill as they both could lead to deadly carbon monoxide poisoning. Don't use candles as they can lead to potential fires. Leave faucets running so that water coming out is no thicker than the lead of a pencil. Open the cupboards to the plumbing, both in the bathroom and the kitchen to keep the pipes as warm as possible in order to avoid bursting pipes. And keep in mind, the dramatic warm-up on Sunday will be putting extra stress on any frozen pipes. Your car battery was not made for these temperatures and wind chills, especially if your battery is older. If possible, make it a point to start your vehicle late tonight or early Saturday and let it run for about 15 minutes. If you have an electric vehicle, expect a much more limited range on a full charge. If your vehicle uses diesel, the fuel could actually form a thick gel at these temperatures. And remember, common sense may save your life. Now my exclusive WOMR weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. A wind chill warning is in effect. This afternoon, mostly sunny, windy, and sharply colder with freezing spray. Northwest winds could gust to near 50 miles per hour as temperatures fall to around 10 degrees by sunset. Wind chills by then around 10 below. Tonight, a good chance of ocean effect snow showers or snow squalls along with heavy freezing spray. Northwest winds gusting to 45 to 50 miles per hour. Lows zero to five below with wind chills near 30 below. Saturday, partly cloudy with a good chance of ocean effect snow showers. Northwest winds gusting to 40 miles per hour. Morning wind chills 25 to 30 below. Afternoon highs recovering into the middle and upper teens. Sunday, partly to mostly cloudy, blustery, and dramatically warmer. Highs around 45. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will. Every year on days like this, when we're about to face severely freezing temperatures, I do three things. Number one, 
Check the oil tank to see that we have enough fuel. Number two, keep a trickle of water flowing in the faucet so the pipes won't freeze. Number three, unfollow all my Facebook friends who are posting smug pictures of themselves in the tropics. I use the snooze for 30 days option because I know they'll be back home by then. But fear of frozen pipes notwithstanding, I actually enjoy cold weather and embrace the Danish practice of hygge, a mood of coziness and comfortable conviviality with feelings of wellness and contentment. Hygge is a survival strategy, a way to manage the long days of darkness, the months of isolation, and the hours we're forced to spend indoors. So how do you, Hugo, how do you avoid depression and cabin fever and seasonal sadness? It's no accident that Denmark is ranked by psychologists as one of the happiest countries in the world. It's true that they have a great social welfare system, but it's also a fact that they have one of Europe's coldest and darkest winters. And instead of fleeing to what they don't have, which is winter vacation homes in the tropics, they've learned to embrace what they do have. They huga. For one thing, Danes actually like to hang out with each other, which is a great way to get through the winter. They're not as individualistic and private as Americans. They tend to congregate at restaurants and community dinners, but they also like to have people over for dinner, which is something we Americans don't do a lot anymore. We find it too stressful. We say we're too busy or we don't want to clean the house or we get intimidated by thinking that we have to cook fancy meals. Personally, I think pizza, salad, and wine is the way to go or soup and chili. Hosts and guests feel comfortable dressing down for a dinner like that. Even people on different diets can find something to eat, and nobody feels the pressure to reciprocate with a big gourmet dinner. Huga is a lot about simplicity. And talking about food, Danes don't count calories. There's a lot written about the Nordic diet whole grains and berries, fatty fish and root vegetables. But what stands out to me is that after New Year's, many Americans begin restrictive eating regimens to atone for the excesses of the holidays. And those diets make us miserable precisely at the time of year when it's hardest to be happy. Exercise is another big huga thing. While American families often have as many cars as there are adults in the house, Denmark has more bicycles than people. Me, I love long walks through the dunes and woods in the winter. We all know that the sleepiness we feel while staring at a fireplace or a TV set is a lot more pleasant when that fatigue comes from a tired body rather than a food coma. There are a ton of books written about Huga that describe the fine points of the lifestyle. The fact that Danes use a lot of candles to make their homes feel more restful, that they recommend having one especially comfortable outfit to hang out in, but never, never to wear out of the house, and recipes, lots of recipes, especially for buttery baked goods. There's a reason that those 
fruit-filled pastries are called Danish, after all. But the real trick concerning Huga is that you have to plan it and put some work into making it happen. It's not just about wearing sweatpants and watching Hulu. And it's more than a staycation. It's about creating a sanctuary, a warm house full of people who care about you, a safe space in a crazy world. And in spite of all the posts you see on Facebook, some of us find that just as fulfilling as being a tourist on the beach. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz with Joel Shaw here on listener-supported Community Radio, WOMR. Yo, 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 yo,